welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leela McRae. Yak Sports Podcast is back. I am Leela McRae. Joe Deck is with me. We're going to talk about the sports you care about as the Augusta County sports fan. And obviously, we're going to jump into this high school football, but it, stick around for the B Block. We have Matt Hatfield from Virginia Preps. He is all things knowledge of high school football um, in Virginia. So stick around for that uh, because I think he knows our teams as well as we do. But let's try to go through our teams as good as, as he might. And Joe, you were at Stewart's Draft last weekend for the Strasburg game. You called it for ESPN 1240 and draft one 20 to three. But that game wasn't 20 to three the whole way. Talk about that game and uh, how it how it went. Yeah, it was three nothing there for a while in favor of Strasburg and Stuart Straff got a touchdown late in the first half when they kind of, you know, brought the quarterback back in, ran a normal offense, went down the field in very little time, got a touchdown, and they went away from it again. Uh, or they kept it in there the first drive of the second half, got another touchdown, went away from it a little bit, turned it over at the goal line, uh, and a chance to close it out there in the third quarter, really. But the difference was every time Stuart Straff made those mistakes on offense, their defense just bailed them out. Their defense was just lights out. They shut down Strasburg. Strasburg was absolutely one-dimensional. They did not have a passing game to speak of. And you know what? I, I felt bad for that Jenkins kid who was the quarterback because even when he tried to drop back to pass, I mean, it was like one Mississippi, Latrell Fomby is dragging you down. Like Latrell Fomby could not be stopped. Uh, and he was in the backfield terrorizing that poor kid the entire night. I think he had three sacks. So it was just a great performance from him. And um, long story short, Aaron Ice has all three touchdowns, and Stuart Straff just puts him away, uh, as they should have. I think with Stuart Straff, I think uh, Bill Piner, who I called the game with, I'll give him credit for this since he was saying it over and over, and I think he's right. I think Stuart Straff's best offense is when they're – got people spreading out the field so the defense can't pack 11 guys in the box or 10 guys in the box or nine guys in the box. When they have to spread guys out, that lets Aaron Nice, who is a hard runner, just run people over. And, um, you know, Marshawn Lynch says it another way that's not podcast appropriate, but, I mean, (laughs) kind of what that is. is, is Yeah, Yeah, it's kind (laughs) of what it is, is he just runs people and hits them in the face and then keeps on running. Like, And that's what you need to do. And, And it allows you also to work in a pass every now and then. Um, so I think if if they do that against Pocosin, I don't think Stuart Draft is going to be in a dogfight at all with Pocosin. I think they're going to run away in that game. Now, if they don't do that, maybe it's a close game for a while. Um, but I do think Stuart Draft's defense is just going to be too good. I, I think the Cougars are going to be in a state championship game. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll get there. I, I, I have the same hesitation you do, that if they kind of get stuck in their rut and stick to it, I don't know if they can afford, you know, a three nothing first half with Pocosin. I think Pocosin will gain that momentum and gain a little confidence. And I, I think Pocosin could take advantage of that. I, I I get I guess I look at it and I think I understand what Coach Floyd is doing. He's just trying to get all of his best players on the field. And I think he feels like that group of running backs trying to get I mean, he's loaded with running back talent. He's just trying to get them all on the field at once so they can do a lot of different things at one time. But I, I don't disagree with you. I think you got to have that quarterback 
that can get the ball to him and th- and show that threat of a pass downfield. And I think he does a good enough job when he has time to have rhythm, when he has time to, you know, get the feel for the game and maybe throw an incomplete pass, but then, you know, get better after that. I mean, he's a young quarterback. I just, yeah, he's a sophomore. I, I hope that's their plan for the future. I hope this was this year's play because you talk about it. Like they switch around, which they do, but like they are much more comfortable. Like, Coach Floyd, as a coach, is much more comfortable having Aaron Nice and uh, Balzer kid back there taking these snaps and trying to get the football to all these different guys and Fitzgerald and and all these other, and and Howard coming across in a jet. Like that's why he has it this way. I just it just seems like the production's better when I look back at some of the blowout games, but even these tougher games, I it just seems like you would maybe have a little bit more traditional offense, have that quarterback in there being a threat because every time I see. Aaron Knights try to throw it or Balzer. I think Fitzgerald's thrown it. Like that's not what you want. You want a guy that's a quarterback that's practicing to be a quarterback during, during the week. So I I am surprised they do that, but they've been very successful at it this year. They're seven and one and and they can, they can win. They can be eight and one. I am worried about that one dimensional offense. If they're able to make it to next week against a potential matchup for Avomatics, something we can talk about later, but you know, next week, but I, I am worried about the ability to beat Appomattox being as one dimensional as they showed against Riverheads in that regular season finale. And and as they shown when they're comfortable in these playoff games. And, and what do we say week in week out on this podcast, the two dimensional teams are the more dangerous teams. Typically those are the ones you see winning state championships. Riverheads is the exception, not the rule. Stewart's draft is not good enough at that one dimension to win a state championship. They're just not. And if Stewart Straff wants to take this as a challenge, that's fine. Appomattox is going to run you off the field. It's going to be a blowout, and you're going to be embarrassed in your own home stadium in front of your own home crowd. If you try that against Appomattox, they will eat your lunch. You're not that. So even, you're just they're not good enough for that. And Appomattox is a really good team. And maybe if they work. play two dimensional, you can't beat Appomattox because Appomattox is good. I think it's a. I think it's going to be a game if you go two dimensional. But and here's the other thing. Like I just in that game against Strasburg. As a person who, you know, I'm doing the game and I'm, it's definitely a pro draft call because Strasburg has their own radio people there and stuff. But I'm not, you know, if, if Stewart's draft loses, I'm not going to lose sleep. Like, I'm, I'm not invested in terms of being part of the program or anything. But it was frustrating for you me seeing them no. run, <laughs> you know, they got a lot of guys in motion and trying to distract the defense that way. Three separate times, the man in motion hits the snap. And at a certain point, I'm like, you're the better team. You don't need to do that. So stop. It's not, it's causing more problems than it's helping. Just line up, just li- spread them out, line up and say, hey. And you know what? At the goal line, the play should have been, it should have been Coach Floyd shouting out, hey, we're going to run it up the middle. I dare him to stop us. Yeah. I think draft is good enough to just line up and, and outpower me. They're tough enough. They're good enough. I mean, they they play a tough brand of football. And just because you spread it out doesn't mean you're not playing tough football, especially the way draft does it when they do it. So I, I am surprised they don't just line up and try to pound on you a little bit more. I think that would be a good exercise this week against Pocosin because I think if draft comes out and, and just plays tough football, they're going to win this game. Even if they play one-dimensionally, they're going to win this game. So why not maybe work through it, like give that quarterback a little bit more confidence hopefully headed into the next week. And maybe you're not asking him to throw the ball a lot this week because maybe that's what you're afraid of. Maybe, maybe that's, you don't want him throwing the ball a lot and that's what you think that might hurt you more, but just let him be in that game. Let him have that momentum. Maybe pick that moment for him to, to have that opportunity. I, that's what I'm looking for. 
Yeah, and I'm not saying you got to throw the ball, you know, 20 times a game or anything crazy like no. that, but you got to mix it in. Got to mix it in. Yeah, and it has to be a threat. And he's a good enough quarterback to be a threat. Yeah, the times I've seen him, he's a good enough quarterback to be a threat. Yeah. So the other games, uh, Bacosin won against Amelia. That's why Draft is playing them. They won 49-18. We'll hear more about this game in the B block. Appomattox beat Glenver 49-21. And Union beat Central Wise 14-13 in a tight one there. Um, The interesting thing about that Appomattox-Union matchup Obviously, Stewart's Draft's hoping to move on and play the winner of that Appomattox Union game. You know, Appomattox played Union two years in a row back in 16 and 17. In 17, Appomattox won a close game against Union, 23 to 20. Then they played the next week against Stanton High School and and beat them in the state championship. And that was a Union team that had uh, Mitchell, the tight end, uh, James Mitchell from Virginia Tech, the player Mm -hmm. we both like a lot there. Uh, Union had him on the roster then. So just interesting back there. Appomattox, don't need to remind anybody. They're a storied program. They've won four of the last five state championships. So, you know, that that's what they're trying to get back to. You and I both think we're destined for that rematch yeah. for sure. And I just, I think I have more hesitation about Stewart's draft after this week than I had before this week. I think I, I just don't want to see them stuck in a rut next this week against Pocosin and, wind up in a tight game in the fourth for no good reason when I I think they're clearly the better team. Yeah, good teams find a way to win when they're not playing their best game. Stewart Draft did that this week in the region championship. But you need to be playing your best football going into a state championship game and in the state championship game. So you need to beat Pocosin like you need to beat Pocosin, which is by three scores. Pocosin should not, even though you're on the road at Pocosin, this should not be a game. It definitely should not be you needing a touchdown before the in the dying seconds of the first half to get the lead. I think what's upsetting for me with Stewart's draft is I think their defense is better than last year. Their state well, their defense is defense absolutely better. Mm-hmm. Their defense is better and they lost good pieces on offense. I'm not really like they lost a receiver and they lost the kid playing quarterback, but I, I think they have enough talent there to be as good offensively. And they're not like, I they think lost Will Jones. Up. I mean, they're that's not as good they're not as good offensively as they were a year ago. And I think the talent's there to, to be in that same ballpark. And I think it's a clear answer that they're not as good. So I just wish we were seeing that out of them. And, and look, I mean, the three points they gave up, I mean, Strasburg went backwards yeah, two yards on that drive. Yeah. Like, so their defense is, you know, I, I agree with you. Their defense is better than last year's. And, yeah. and I think this is the best defense they've ever had. So, um, and this might be, you know, despite, um, Having that loss, I know there was a year Stewart's draft went undefeated in the regular season and stuff, but I think this might be the best Stewart's draft team, period. Like this, I think top yeah, to bottom, this team I is just, better than last year's, it, which is surprising. It's just, better. yeah, they just need to get the offense clicking here in the last two games of the year, including the state championship. Especially if they get a lead in this game against Pocosin. I just, yeah, just I bury him. I throw Vance out there and say, you're leading us the rest of the way. Bring us home. And so he has that confidence going into the Appomattox game. And maybe you swoop in with Aaron Nice taking a couple snaps against Appomattox. Maybe that's your that's your wildcat offense. But I, it's what they – you look back at film, that's what they're most comfortable doing. I, I don't think it's their best offense. All right. Uh, let's drop down to Class A, 1A there. Region 1B final. Riverheads 1, Central Ludenburg 56-7. to Riverheads had 492 rushing yards. Um, forced six, three and outs. I, I was calling this game. 
you know, the score is very similar to a week ago when Riverheads just trounced Alta Vista. It didn't happen as in dominating fashion. You know, they they had to, you know, run two plays on offense instead of just the one uh, to score in the first half. But, you know, they kept getting the ball on their own 30 instead of, you know, the opposing team's 30. So that was the difference in this game. And that's why they racked up the yards. But they still scored at the same clip. They had an open in, you know, second run of the game fumble. And then after that, it was just Riverhead's perfection on offense. But it was really just set up by that defense absolutely dominating um, just causing those, you know, three and outs, get off the field, get out of our way We're, our offense is coming, you know, thank goodness. Central Lindenberg's punter was half decent, he, you know, at least helped field position, but it didn't pay off. Cause you know, there, there it went running the other way. Um, river has been absolutely dominating, uh, in these region B playoffs. They've played nine region B playoff games in the last, um, these last three, um, during these last three years, this is the fourth straight region B championship, you know, in these nine games, they're outscoring the opponent 469 to 61. That's 52 to seven is their average. It's just, they're absolutely a, like not even a mile ahead of the rest of region B. It's just a lifetime ahead of, of the rest of region B. And so they've been snoozers, but that's what the, I mean, Riverhead's a good team. They come out looking good. Like even though they're playing a lesser opponent, like clearly they're just not as good. They're not as talented, not as prepared for this game. They still come out and dominate the way they should dominate. There's no let up. There's no coming out flat. And then they still win 35 to nothing or 35, seven, you know, it's just absolute domination, absolute game preparedness. And it was just another example of that this week. Yeah. Um, I don't have much to add other than West Point's going to get more of the same. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And I've seen a little bit of film on West Point. They do some weird stuff. Their quarterback is like hiding behind the line of scrimmage. He is sitting on his heels like he's a catcher. He's going to need to hide. a shotgun snap. We're going to have to see some like annexation of Puerto Rico stuff. And that's if they score. Like and then it's seven nothing maybe and then and then you're trashed. I don't know. I just don't, I don't understand the approach to offense. And if they do that against Riverheads, it's it's what you just said. It's just going to be craziness because he's sitting on his heels and like even pausing a second. He's giving the defenders like two steps towards him before he gets up. And that might have worked last week against Keenan Queen. That ain't going to work this week because teams Stewart Straff knows <laughs> and they have a great offensive line that defensive front from riverheads is coming and so this kid's gonna have to play a really good game at quarterback uh he's a good athlete um i just don't i i hope he's watched enough film that he knows what's coming because he's waiting around to let the rush come to you ain't gonna work and uh there's not a whole lot of weapons around him. there's another good running back but it's not a list of guys there for for west point yeah i i i i i hate you know i hate it i hate being all river has just going to dominate a game. You're the one that does that. But yeah, this isn't, this is looking worse than the last, at least last week. I think central Ludenberg is a better team than, than West point from what I've seen. So, uh, West point beat Keenan queen 35, 28 and kind of a shootout game there. It's just, you're going to have to have good defense to beat riverheads. I, I haven't seen that. I think what's interesting though, Galax, they beat narrows 21, nothing, Holston moved on because of J.I. Burton's battle with COVID. Um, you and I both think we're about to see a Galax 
Riverheads rematch. Gaylock's a good team. They got a kid that can mm-hmm. throw the ball. He could throw the ball. He could throw the ball last year in the state championship. That was a, it was a tight game last year, seven point game. Um, I think this kid's better at throwing this year. I wonder if they're as good defensively. I think that's something still to see. I think you know beating Narrows the way they did. That's a that's a good start. That's a good showing to to make me think that you know they're close to as good on defense. But again, this is probably the game we're going to be talking about next week, so we don't need to use up all our points. But I think you're pretty dismissive of everybody in class one. I, Galax is definitely the best next team, the next best team. And yeah, I'm just I, it's going to be interesting to see what they do against Union because Union has has players. So if they absolutely trash Union, you I mean Holston. My eyebrows will rise a little bit. Holston, not Union. I'm sorry, Holston. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I lost my point there because Holston doesn't have the. Uh, I don't know why I made that switch in my mind, but um, they know Holston good. Holston's kind of not used to being here, so I just I think Galax will have an easy game as well. I think I think both these semifinals in Class One are blowouts, and um. I don't know. I, I, I'm just not going to concede Riverhead's just going to beat Galax next week, too, and I'm not going to say it next week. But I think Galax is a good team. I think I think they're not far off the mark from what they were last year, and uh, it was a seven-point seven game last year. It was a seven-point game last year, and I, I agree. Their quarterback can throw the ball. That's what makes them dangerous against a team like Riverhead's. They're, yeah, they can do multiple things. They're two-dimensional, uh, like the – what we say every week to be Riverheads, you got to be two dimensional. Yep. The one team that Riverheads kind of had a problem with at one point this year was Taswell. Taswell two dimensional. I guess they had problems with Stewart's draft too. Um, but that was an overtime game. Yeah, yeah, that was um, yeah, that's how you aren't taking anything away from. But draft, um, yeah. but Stewart's draft did sit in their in their tight offense. So, and, and it was a game where they didn't score. And um, yep. so you either have to have an absolute elite defense. Or you have to be two dimensional. Which Draft does, and then nearly won it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. Galax, Galax has a not bad defense. Uh, I don't think it's as good as Drafts. Pretty good. But they've got Pretty a uh, they've got a much better passing game, and I think that will help them. Um, I think the question is, I would have loved to seen that game without the wind. Maybe we'll get that this year. Maybe there won't be as much wind, and no, Galax won't be throwing in. <laughs> Galax won't be throwing into the wind inexplicably. Um, with <laughs> with the wind gusts being it's what they were, um, but maybe uh, maybe I hope it is. You know what? I hope it's Galax and Riverheads. I hope it's a great game. Um, it was a pleasant surprise last year for that to be a close game, and I hope it's another close one. Yep, I, I think we'll get that. Hey, that's why they play the games. We're, we're already writing up a rematch in Class Two and Class One. That's why they play the games. So we'll see what happens this weekend. Class One is you a and I are planning to be at West. <laughs> yeah, uh, you and I are going to be at the Class One semifinal for Riverheads at West Point, uh, calling out ESPN twelve forty. So if you're a podcast listener, you haven't heard me and Joe on the radio yet this year for a game. We did some pregame last week, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll have a little yak on twelve forty during a game there. So uh, listen into that if you weren't planning to already, and uh, we'll be back next week to talk about all those games happening and setting up the state finals. But we did get Shenandoah district, uh, all district teams today. I know the region two B came out here later in the day and you and I haven't examined that as closely pretty, pretty much what I saw the stewards draft players, what mm-hmm. they got in the district kind of went in the region too. So, uh, Aaron, the only similar. difference was Aaron Nice's offensive player of the year. As well. Aaron nice offensive player. Yeah. So, um, coach of the year, Robert Casto, offensive player of the year, sack smiley, defensive player of the year, Latrell Fomby. For me, I, 
I'm not saying anything different. I mean, I'm not in the business of saying which kids don't deserve awards, but if I had to pick this year, as much as I like Riverhead's defense, as much as I've seen it, as much as, as good as Zach is on both sides of the ball, you can't argue with Latrell Fromby from, from draft being an absolute monster and how dominant. And he was, he was the best player for draft in that game and matched up with Riverhead. So I like all these choices here. I know sometimes people like to go to, well, just because the Riverheads is undefeated doesn't make Coach Caster the best coach. He is the best coach for the last 25 years, and he deserves this award every so often. And this is a great year for him to get it when there was no other, you know, maybe you look at Wilson and you think about Drew Budgen in his first year, you know, picking up, pick, you know, reversing the record, mm-hmm. going from two and eight mm-hmm. to four and two in the regular season there. But that's just, a, that doesn't stand out enough for me that I think Coach Castor definitely deserves it this year. I think it's hard to give it to anybody else most years. Um, but I mean, this winning streak keeps going. He's got him sitting on the doorstep for another state championship. He absolutely deserves that award. And then offensively is the only one I haven't talked about. Zach Smiley. Yeah, he deserves that. He's awesome. I mean, he owns the Riverheads record books now. And that's not, that's saying something. That's, that's no short thing there. I mean, Logan Moore put records out there at Riverheads. And now Zach Smiley has passed him. And there's a list of more running backs that have done great things at Riverheads, winning state championships, running big yards, getting a lot of touchdowns. But Zach Smiley's done it better than all of them. So he deserves this single-year award because he's he's one of the best running backs Riverhead's ever had, and he's also having a great season, passing 1,000 yards already on this season, having so many touchdowns this year, 17 or 19, I think, um, total touchdowns. I think he has two through the air. So, yeah, don't argue with those at all myself. Yeah, I didn't have any problems with the offensive player of the year, the defensive player of the year, or the coach of the year. I thought those were all makes made sense um and and like you said i mean i think last year i said floyd um i can't remember who won last year but that i i said with him getting stewart's draft as good as they were last year rebounded a bit last year i mean they didn't yeah you know Mm -hmm. on the brink they weren't expected to be as good rose up last year right so i i i think i said coach floyd i can't remember he might have won it last year i don't remember but (laughs) <laughs> these kind of awards they're nice for the people who win them and the kids and that's awesome and i'm all for having the awards but for me i immediately forget who wins them the second yeah. i'm the next week so um i think probably say the same for coach casto probably coach floyd too like it, yeah both of them probably aren't, aren't they they're not the doing it to, to win all shenandoah district yeah. football coach of the year yeah um yeah. but latrell fomby is the one guy that i've watched this year that I, has just been outstanding um he has been the best defensive player, period. And uh, I, what's amazing is this is the second year in a row a draft kid has won because Casey Branch won it last year. I do remember that one. Um, and and it's hands down. It just goes to show what that defense has become and what they've built from last year. So for him to be an even better player than Casey Branch was last year, in my opinion, um, I think that's amazing. Uh, and then on the offensive end, like you said, with Zach Smiley, I mean, he's just, he is the cream of the crop at the number one rushing attack in class one and class two, in my opinion. So he's been doing it for years. Yeah. And he's a four year starter at Riverheads, which is saying something with the kind of stable of running backs they have. And they might have another one starting <laughs> now. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see where, it, when uh, King Cook Cash's career is over, where he stands at Riverheads. But, it's been a pretty phenomenal year for those two kids, and I think they very much deserve the, that award. 
So, you know, speaking of Caden Cook Cash, I, I have this list here of freshmen to watch. There was four freshmen on this all-district team. So right there, that's that's mm-hmm. huge. I mean, that's really, really an honor to win that award, uh, to get on that team, and especially Caden Cook Cash, first-team linebacker, uh, you know, as a freshman. That's just a very impressive spot to be in. So if you're watching for the future, Riverheads, Caden Cook Cash, one heck of a linebacker, absolutely earned first-team honors there at Riverheads playing alongside uh, Zach Smiley and uh, Cy Cox at, line, at linebacker there. And then he's also a good uh, running back. He has nine touchdowns on the season and, and averages about nine yards a carry. Like, he's going to step into the shoes that Zach Smiley's leaving behind there. Like, I, I don't know if he scores 90-plus touchdowns in his career, but he's going to chase after it, and he's going right. to be on that on that trajectory. So um, a lot to look forward there, too, at Riverheads for him, and everybody listening is probably rolling their eyes of, oh, great, here's another great one coming from Riverheads. But, you know, Stuart Shraft has a nice, uh, a good freshman as their own, and it's it's the Bryce Dennison kid. Um, Second-team punter as a freshman, very good place kicker as well. Um, you know, that game against Riverheads a couple weeks ago, he proved his worth pinning Riverheads deep multiple times. And that's such an advantage to have. And now you might not look at uh, punter and kicker the same way you look at, you know, linebacker, as we're talking about uh, Caden up there. But very important part of the game. And they have, you know, one of the best in the district as a fresh as a freshman doing that. So draft has a good, good handle on their special teams for, you know, three more years to come. Yeah, him and the Strasburg punter both were just, it was like a punting competition there in the first half and who could do a better job punting. Both were great punters. And that's what I took away from it. I was, you know, as a freshman, uh, I think because he was a freshman, that's why he was second team. Um, but that he's definitely gonna be a first team guy next year. So. Yeah. And then you have uh, a kid that really is impressive there. Peyton Dunn at Stanton, mm-hmm. a second team linebacker as a freshman, he stood out as a freshman there. So watching the district these next couple of years, you're going to see that kid really cause some chaos. Um, and, and, you know, can Stanton line up a defense behind that kid to, to really break, bring out the, you know, the black shirt defense at, at Stanton and, and see what you can get going there. That'll be interesting to watch. And then at Buffalo gap, the Jackson Ingram kid, a very dangerous kick returner uh, is where he gets awarded uh, second team honors as a freshman this year, but he can do a lot for Buffalo gap and, and they need that kind of fire. They need that kind of spark. And as he grows, in that role at Buffalo Gap, can he be that spark to that offense that they need? I mean, they, they were lacking a spark on offense this year um, that we were used to seeing with Carter Rivenberg. And, and Tanner did his best. You know, younger brother did his best. But, you know, he was his first year back as well. I mean, he was, you know, on the all-district team, uh, second team. I, I forget where he finished, but he was on the team. But, you know, this Jackson Ingram has three more years to kind of move Gap's offense ahead. And, and that's something they need. So all those four players, big-time studs to watch. Um, as they come along in the Shenandoah district. One more thing that stood out to me uh, in particular, you know, all the running back classes made sense to me with Smiley, Nice, Rothka being first team, and then Noah Smiley, Cycox, and Bryce Hildebrand from Gap on the uh, second team. But Caden Welcher being first team quarterback at Wilson, I saw him in their second game of the season, and they got absolutely manhandled by Riverheads in their second game of the season. That's when I watched Wilson play the first time, and I said it on this podcast that week. I said, Caden Wilcher's a good quarterback. Like, he can do a lot with the ball. When he threw it deep, even if they didn't connect with his receiver, it was a good-looking ball, a good, strong ball. He made good decisions. He ran with the ball well. And I, I really like that he got that first-team quarterback spot. I know other quarterbacks are good in this area. But when you take Buffalo Gap and Stewart's drop really not depending on a traditional quarterback, it did limit that list. And um, I know Dunlap from Riverhead's got second team, but – I think Welcher did stand out enough, and he deserved that first team. I was really happy for that kid to get that. 
Yeah, and um, I, I think that's the good news. And like you said, you know, when you see Welcher winning the first team quarterback, and you look at some of those younger players at Stanton and Gap, I mean, those are those are all three programs that are looking to build from this year. And for Stanton, they had a lot of young guys. It's nice to see them they get did. recognized on that second team there with Peyton Dunn, the linebacker. And, and obviously, you know, for a defense that you and I, Leland said, is going to need to improve. Gave them a lot of leeway because they're young. Yeah, they got to get better. Peyton Dunn is going to be a big part of that. Oh yeah, and Stanton, they had five players, five different players get recognized on this all district team. Mm-hmm. Four of those players were underclassmen, so mm-hmm. something to look forward to for Stanton, who ended their season on a win. Conversely, you look at Fort Defiance; they had three players on on these all district teams. Two of those were seniors, and they they only have one all district player returning next year. And they're losing a lot of senior talent there at Fort Defiance. You know, this doesn't write everything. And you always remind me of this. When I start when I start spouting the numbers, because that's all I can do during the week is, you know, take roster numbers and who's a junior, who's a senior, who's returning. And I always come into August ready of who has who returning, who has what. And you're saying, well, bad, bad players returning doesn't mean as much. But I really think, especially in these all district teams where they're voted on by other coaches and they're recognizing good talent, if I'm a Stanton fan, I'm a, I'm a little bit excited there that you had that much talent coming back. If I'm a Buffalo Gap fan, I'm I'm looking at that because you had three younger guys come back. But then you see the balance coming out of Riverheads and draft, and you kind of see why they kind of reload. Sure, Riverheads has seven senior players and and draft six senior players that were honored, but they both have you know seven to five guys that were uh, all district players that were underclassmen, and and that's what they'll keep building on. And uh. Yeah, Wilson loses a lot too. I think Wilson and Fort kind of lose the most talent going out the door for seniors. I'm a little more positive about Wilson because they they beat Fort heads up. They beat Buffalo Gap. They have like kind of a new trajectory. Um, but if I'm Buffalo Gap and Stanton, I'm kind of looking at like, what can we do with these young guys? What other talent can we get behind them? So that'll be fun to see. Well, Leland and volleyball, we're down to one team left. It's Riverheads. Uh, they took out Alta Vista and Rappahannock County to win Region B. They get ready to take on Middlesex on Tuesday night. So by the time this podcast is posted, that result will probably be known. Hopefully, uh, Riverheads Volleyball is getting ready for a state championship. And they'd have to travel to the Region C or D location, and that's going to be Auburn or Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry's the team Riverheads faced in the uh, state final a couple years ago. And and, and Patrick Henry's a really good program. Um, So that, that would be something. Uh, And then you look at Auburn. I know in the spring sports, especially the Mm girls sports in the spring, Auburn is dominant. Um, I think all spring sports are pretty dominant. So I'm sure that's going to be a heck of a match down there. So hopefully Riverheads can beat Middlesex. I know they faced Middlesex in previous years in these playoffs, and I think they beat them some and lost to them some. So it'll be interesting to see what happens Tuesday night. And yeah, as you're listening to this, you you know what's setting up, and hopefully it's Riverheads, you know, traveling down to C or D Friday or Saturday for a uh, state final, which would be absolutely awesome. The class three teams, uh, Wilson, they lost to Rockbridge in the region quarterfinals. And for Fort Defiance, they lost to that same Rockbridge team three to one in the region semifinals. But Fort finishes 11 and three on the season. Yes, all those losses did come to Rockbridge. That is something they're going to have to overcome. I mean, that's something looking ahead. Uh, they have that Laney Goggin. She won all district player of the year. She's a really good hitter. Um, you know, that's something they're going to have to look forward to that they're going to have to get out of the region and it's against Rockbridge. Now this year, you know, only one team made it out of each region. So Fort Defiance kind of was up against that wall anyway. 
and then they also met Rockbridge in the in the semifinal instead of the final. So Fort wasn't going to keep moving along anyway. But they know they're the best program in the district right now, and they're just going to have to find a way to just get over that hump and find a way to beat a really good Rockbridge program that doesn't look to be losing. I mean, they have plenty of girls coming back next year. But also, I I'm a, I like that Fort Defiance is that good because it's just it's going to get Wilson that much better. It's going to get Riverheads keeping on moving up, and and look that pays off for Riverheads right there. And all the area volleyball is just going to keep on rising. So I like having these good teams in our area. Yeah, it'll be great. College football, JMU. They've been ranked, I think, since the second or third week of the season. They've been ranked number one. Mm-hmm. Honestly, today they were voted as number one in one of the polls, but. The selection and playoff building committee, uh, I don't believe Condoleezza Rice is on this one, uh, they put JMU third. And so now JMU has a different road than a lot of the fans thought they were going to have to a potential national championship game. Uh, and it starts with what I don't like. I don't really mind the class three stuff, or the, uh, the not class three, the ranked third or all that. You got to play where you play. You got to win. I just wish VMI could play somebody. I could really root for VMI this week. Like I don't want both our local FCS teams playing each other in week one of these playoffs. Cause even if VMI didn't have a chance against whoever they were going to play, whatever, you know, high seated team that they were going to play, at least I could root for them and, and really root for them there and hope they really win. I now I'm like torn. I, it'd be a great story if VMI won, but you know, VMI is not a national championship contender. JMU is. So I'm, I'm a little torn there. I, I don't know. I I was surprised with that. JMU wasn't at least the number two ranked team. It just means in the semifinal they might have to travel instead of being at home. That's that's basically what it means. And honestly, they might not because North Dakota State is not even a top seeded team, but they play the number two team before that. So if South Dakota State, North Dakota State beats them, then I think they would actually come to JMU. JMU still alive. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I know JMU doesn't want to see North Dakota State anytime before a final. I know that. Yeah. Um, for JMU, it's, you know, the way they did the first round at least, and they tried to do multiple rounds, I guess, as much as they could. They wanted to have them somewhat regionally based. So that's why hear, yeah. that's why VMI other... and JMU are drawn together. Send them to Delaware or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, okay. Um, JMU should Richmond be fine. Good for them. They didn't make it. Oh, well, sucks to suck. Um, <laughs> I I have no sympathy for Richmond. I I mean. Good I, for them. Oh, the other way? Oh, sucks to suck. That's pretty good. Yeah, I don't like <laughs> Richmond. So I'm personally, I'm glad they didn't make it. I don't know. Um, but for JMU, uh, they shouldn't have any problems with VMI. Not sure yeah. they'll have problems in the next round with Missouri State or North Dakota. It gets down to that semifinal. And I know Jamie wants to be at home, but they're not. They're going on the road. And possibly whatever. If you're gonna be the national champion, you're gonna have to go on the road at some point. So the we the year they won the national title, they went up to North Dakota State and they won a football game. And yeah. That's what it takes. So just win. Just win. That's what what Joe says. All right, let's get out of here. Let's get to the meat of this podcast. Matt Hatfield, Virginia Preps, coming on. Uh, Enjoy it. All right, back here in the B Block, we are joined by Matt Hatfield of Virginia Preps. 
Matt, thanks for uh, making time for us. Your fourth fourth trip to the X Sports Podcast. Hey, my pleasure, guys. It's good to be talking with you and talking some uh, high school football playoff action in April, which I never thought would happen about a year or so ago. <laughs> yeah, any any time before 12 months ago, we couldn't imagine it. But it's here, and we have two local teams uh, here in our neck of the woods, and we'll hit that first. Uh, let's start with Class 1, Riverheads. Uh, you know, the, the state power, Riverheads, um, you know, four in a row state championships. I, to me, looking at this bracket, and I think I said this a couple weeks ago, if, if not a couple months ago, I think we're just looking, we're destined for another Galax Riverhead showdown. We are, and you got to go back to see the last team to beat Riverheads in the playoffs. It was Galax, even though the Gladiators yeah. are on that drive for five. So, uh, and Galax having a coaching change that I think is also somewhat interesting to this whole equation because uh, if you remember their coach, Mark Dixon, who played in the NFL, left to go to Pulaski. So there was some questions about, you know, just how good this team ultimately would be. But uh, they picked right up under new coach Shane Allen, who's had some familiarity with the program being there on board. So, um, but with Riverheads, I mean, yeah, West Point, not to discount the pointers entirely, but they're going up against a well-oiled machine here. And it's just, they got their hands full. I think we're all surprised that West Point got to this uh, point in the postseason, edging out Rappahannock by a whisker and then knocking off King and Queen. And if you look at their last uh, three games, they have not completed a pass in two of those games. So their their way to win is to ram it down your throat, and you're not ramming it down Riverhead's throat. They ram it down your throat. So um, I just don't see it happening in this spot here. Uh, I think Riverhead's is going to basically comfortably take this one. I think Zach Smiley is going to have another huge game as he's just continuing on his pace. What He's got 1,000 yards, 17 touchdowns rushing just this year alone. He's set all kinds of records, and they can mix it up and get yeah. you know Noah Smiley and Caden Cook and – Cy Cox and all those guys involved in the, in the attack there for Coach Robert Casto. So I, I think, yeah, it's going to be them and Galax. And the, the way to beat Riverheads, you've got to have some balance. You've got to be right. able to throw the football a little bit. And Galax can do that a little bit with Cole Pickett, their quarterback. The key is going to be just getting in a rhythm and staying accurate uh, to be, you know, not a one-dimensional attack. If we were to look ahead to a state championship matchup with them on May the 1st, I give Riverheads the edge. But Galax is intriguing because they've been able to win this postseason thus far in the two regional games a couple different ways. They scored 41 on the board on George With in, in the opening round, and then they just beat Narrows, shutting them out. And Narrows was no pushover. That was a team that did not allow a point the entire regular season, so they did it with their defense in the last round. So it's a game that could be close to the vest and tight to the very end. Here, talking before we hit all the region or all the uh, classifications, you know, they, they adjusted the system, which everything's adjusted this year. Sure. But uh, they had been setting who hosted state semifinals based on PowerPoints, and they, and they switched it up for this. And I, I was wondering what your thoughts and what, what are people saying, maybe down in your neck of the woods, what, what are people thinking of how they adjusted to that, just setting which regions would host which regions? Oh, there's a lot of upset people. Um, and I yeah. was one that didn't like it at first. I think I expressed on one of our previous visits, guys, about just my thoughts with everything that was going on um, months ago. And, and it disrupted me a lot with basketball. It disturbed me that you could have an undefeated team having to play on the road against a team that had seven or eight losses in the final. But now that we're we're almost through this and we're going to get back to some normalcy, we all hope and pray, you know, for the 2021, 2022 school year and calendar year. I, it, it doesn't bother me as much. I'm kind of having the predetermined. Now, that being said, if it's an undefeated team having to go on the road to a team that's got a couple of losses on its ledger, I can see why they're they're bothered by it. But, you know, this whole this whole structure thing was not a perfect deal. And it's an already flawed 
messed up system. So to me, it's just another another piece of the puzzle that you know doesn't fit. But we got we got to try to make it fit and make the best of it. So looking at class two, it looks like a potential for another rematch of a state championship game between Stewart Straff and Appomattox. Is that how you see it playing out? I do. And, you know, Pocosin's coming off a very impressive uh, showing Joe in the last round, uh, winning their regional championship. Would you expect them to do so in 2A by a count of 49 to 12 of Vermilion? But they got off to a really fast start. The one thing that would give me a little bit of pause here. If I am Stewart Strath, as they got down, didn't have a lot. They weren't clicking early against Strasburg in their Region 2B final. But I think that ultimately they're, they'll get they'll hit their stride come second half. I mean, Latrell Fomby has just been an absolute menace on yes. defense this year. Three sacks the last round. And they have other guys that are weapons with the ball in their hands, like Joel Howard uh, in the return game, catching the ball. And then you look at, you know, in the running game there, I think they have the ability to wear Pocosin down by the end. Maybe not at the start there. I like what Aaron Nice has given as a two-way stand out for them. But, um, you know, Pocosin's another team a little bit like West Point in the sense that, you know, when you look at them, I don't know that they're balanced enough and they, they can hit you with an explosive play through the air. This has not been one of Elliott Duty's better Pocosin teams. It's impressive that they got to this point here. They've had some pauses and not being able to play everybody in the Bay Rivers district. You know, this is their first time in the States now in four years, but uh, Karan Smith is a threat in all three phases for them. Nate Wilhite can run the ball. I think they'll give, it'll be a little bit of a, a more of a battle with them and Stuart Strath than I would anticipate with West Point Riverheads. I could see that one being played until midway to the latter stages of the third quarter potentially, but yeah, Appomattox is just a machine guys. I mean, and just their story this year to get where they are with their yeah. coach and Doug Smith, who's battling cancer and everything. I mean, it's, it's a feel good story in a lot of ways. And um, Trey Lawing is just dynamic at the quarterback spot. They have so many ways to beat you. Um, it's going to be a tall task. Should we get that rematch again? And um, they're one of, believe it or not, uh, along with Riverheads, the few favorites that I would label as a favorite to repeat. I think the lower divisions with Riverheads in class one, Appomattox in class two, you give those, advantages to but if you were to go up the board from three to six we've already seen uh, one of those defending champs knocked out in class three with Hopewell losing back in the regional semis to Phoebus who just fell to Lafayette in the region 3A championship I'd say that every other state champ that won it in 2019 is not a favorite so I think you lean with those smaller division schools just because of the continuity and that says a lot for Appomattox considering they had to have the changes that, that, that they experienced here with uh, Stephen Castello being the interim coach for Doug Smith while he fights his battle. Well, you hit on class three. I, that's what I was going to lead with was Hopewell is the only defending state champ that's already knocked out. Yeah. So I, I look at this bracket for class three and I just say, is it Lord Botetot's time? Is, is it finally going to be their turn to win one of these things? It is. It's funny. You know, I talk every summer with Jamie Harless at Lord Botetot, and every summer going back to like 2015, 2016, they've lost a couple of these state championship games. Uh, the Hopewell most recently, they lost one to Magna Vista during their back-to-back -back run, and injuries seemed to get them. And a couple of times they weren't the best team. I mean, let's face it, Travion Henderson for Hopewell, who's now at the Ohio State University, was just an absolute beast. But even last time they met, they didn't have Evan Eller. And, you know, now their stud running back Hunter Rice uh, is injured. Uh, he's supposed to be coming back from the injury for their state semifinal game coming up against Liberty Christian, who is no slouch. They have the nation's number one rated junior offensive lineman in Zach Rice, who's got offers from everybody known to man, five-star, mm -hmm. and he's an absolute uh, future superstar, could play 
on Sundays potentially in the NFL. Um, but I think it's Botetot's time. They're just so good up front. And uh, if they do have Hunter Rice back even at 60 to 70 percent, he's better than most everybody else out there. I think just the way mm-hmm. they've been just mowing down people, um, you know, with Gunnar Gibbons in that line, they've got at least three FBS linemen, which is just unheard of oh in high school football. Yeah, Gunnar Gibbons, one of the latest. And this is just after graduating Jesse Hansen a couple of years back who's at Virginia Tech, um, and he's kind of the uh, top 250 guy in the class of 2022, the next best lineman perhaps in the country behind Zach Rice. It's, you might have the two best junior offensive linemen in the nation going head-to-head in that one-state semi. Independence is an interesting story. Second-year school with a Florida State commit at quarterback and Brian Courtney. I like Lafayette to beat them, though, having watched them up close and personal this past week against Phoebus and just what Andy Lynn's program does with the wing tee and their defense. So I would expect Botetot to take down Lafayette in the final if I was to protect the head because Botetot's won every game this year, guys, by 18 or more, and their closest game was just a 26-8 to win over Abingdon without their best player. Well, Class 4, <laughs> I'm, yeah, that sounds domination. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to Lord Botetot in a minute. <laughs> but um, in Class 4, it looks like Lake Taylor, Tuscarora, that was the rematch, or that was the state championship last year. Both those teams still in, mm-hmm. but Unlike in the other classifications, all four remaining teams in class four are undefeated with Lake Taylor playing King George, Salem playing Tuscarora. Do you see Salem or King George being able to upset uh, a rematch in class four? I think it's very possible, guys. I mean, uh, the thing about Tuscarora that I like, though, as you look at their matchup with Salem is just their balance with Sonny Menino at quarterback over 1,300 yards, Bryce Duke at running back is having a monster year with nearly 1,500 yards rushing, 20 touchdowns on the ground, plus he's got almost 200 yards receiving and three scores. And then they have a guy that's a game changer on the defensive line in Matei Fitz, who's already got 16 tackles for loss, four forced fumbles. He set records for sacks and forced fumbles when he was a sophomore. And he's a senior now, and he's going to James Madison University to play his uh, college football and maybe the best stat about Tuscarora is while their best players on the defensive line and their next best players on the at the running back spot they have four offensive linemen of their starting five that were chosen first or second team all district in that Potomac district so I like what they're what they're doing there with uh, Brandon Wheelbarger the coach the thing about Salem's going to be is playing mistake-free football from the quarterback position if they cannot turn it over because they have the skill guys with Sean Collins and the McDonald twins Jaden and Jordan they're going to Virginia Tech. They have some guys on the outside. Chauncey Logan's a versatile athlete, has gotten some time at QB. So the thing's going to be turnovers in that game. If, if if a team finishes plus three or better in the turnover category, they're going to win that game. And that, to me, is more of a 60-40 game, uh, giving Tuscarora the edge, um, but would not be surprised. I do think there was some cracks maybe shown on film with the Salem defense that Tuscarora would be excited about after their 35-21 win over GW Danville. Lake Taylor – Similar deal because Hank Slater's team has been great this year. Um, they haven't been pushed with the exception of Maury, who they beat the reigning class five state champs, who just had a yeah. unbelievable showing against Deep Creek. The third district is maybe not as perennially viewed as strong across the state as some others from the Tidewater area. And King George comes into this matchup with a lot of mystery to him in that they're not a usual team you see out of region four B making the state playoffs and they can beat you in a variety of ways, running it, throwing it with some defense. They played great defensively in the second half of their win against uh, Monacan in the region four B championship. So Lake Taylor with their twin veer, while they're known for explosive big plays, if they put the ball in the carpet and have some fumbling issues more than interception issues, 
two or three of them in a row, it can lead to some mistakes. I just feel like Lake Taylor's pedigree and these big moments winning these close games, Hank Slayer is hard to go against in this spot, even though I could see King George have a chance. And the key to that game, if they're going to pull the upset, it's going to be special teams. If they can get some hitting, hitting yardage or a block kick, that could swing a maybe close game with them on the road. I, I had a follow-up question here, and my question is, you know, for a lot of schools, 2017 is pretty recent. That's that's really good. Um, sure. But for Salem, they're a team that expects to, kind of like Riverheads, win every year. So is there grumblings in Salem? Like, if they don't win this year, do you think, as crazy as it sounds, like there's going to be grumblings at Salem and that coach is going to have a problem? Uh, I don't think so unless he wants to leave and go out on his terms. I think Don Holter had big shoes to fill. He was part of Stephen Magenbauer's staff there. And if you look at what they've done, it's just been remarkable, just the model of success and excellence mm-hmm. that they've established there to score um, like they do week in and week out. I mean, this is a team that, you know, they're not playing absolute sisters of the poor. I know Blacksburg's down this year, Christiansburg. Some of these teams aren't, you know, viewed as, but Pulaski, they beat pretty good. They beat Amherst soundly. Um, I think the expectations of some of the fans, and they have a very passionate, um, exuberant <laughs> fan base that has that, that expectation may be different than some that are a little more realistic, understanding that, look, Lake Taylor and Tuscarora just might be better than you guys. I mean, let's just call it what it is. And if you're losing in the state semis and state finals, I can't fault you for that. Like, I remember this was what was funny to me, guys, not to make the basketball analogy, but we came back. Uh, my radio partner, uh, Coach Young, Ed Young, who's uh, the head coach at Nansmitter, we called on the NFHS Network the Green Run Stonebridge Basketball State Championship in Class 5. Now, he once upon a time coached at Green Run. The year that he got there, which was 2003, they were 0-22 the year before. So Green Run, which was going for a back-to-back state championships, there's people on social media saying, how can you lose an 18-point lead in the state championship on the road during a pandemic? You should be fired. Oh, wait a second. You were 9-0. and What are you talking about? Like, So sometimes people have to put in perspective like how far you've come or what, you know, how hard this is during these trying circumstances. And, again, you're not looking at this like you've got a four-star. They don't have a four-star quarterback. I think if you look at it from – player for player and a talent and playing a team that beat you last year, you know, you're going to go in as a slight underdog in this game. So, you know, I think what would really be hard to swallow is if they were to get run off the field 42 to seven or 49, nothing in this type of game. Now you might be saying, all right, what we were, we not ready to play. So I, I think that things are fine there. Um, I don't see any deterioration in the program because again, they've been competing at a high level. You haven't seen a drastic drop off. And there have been some programs in recent years in Virginia that have had state championship level success. And then they're out in the first round that hasn't happened at Salem yet. All right. Looking at class five, Maury beat Stonebridge last year. They're both still in it, but it's hard not to look at this bracket and see Highland Springs and, and just not think that they're the favorite. You know, I'm going to upset Springer Nation, which I've got loads Ooh. of respect for Lauren Johnson and what they what he's done there. I think if there's any high school coach in our state who's ready to be a college coach, if he wants to do that, it's Lauren Johnson and what he's done at Holland Springs. It's just been uh, astonishing, and I can't say enough good things about them. You know, they beat Prince George 34 nothing in the first round. They lost – or they didn't get a chance to play – there again, they lost that game, that opportunity to play Manchester yeah. for the region championship because of COVID. And you know, they were going for some history of their own and trying to win five in a row, which Riverheads is trying to do to separate them from Riverheads and Phoebus and Hampton all time in the history books for most consecutive state titles. And they lost to Verona in the state semis, but um, and they've had a couple of injuries. They've been able to win with their defense. They've got great skill kids. 
I actually believe, though, believe it or not, that uh, while I would pick them to beat Maury in this game, I think it's a hard game. And I think Stonebridge is, the, in my eyes, the slight favorite to win the whole thing. I think it might finally be their time after years of frustration and years of frustration against Tidewater and Richmond teams, including the likes of Highland Springs and Maury here most recently and Phoebus and Lake Taylor and some others. Um, I just feel like the way Stonebridge has been performing offensively, and I know the competition level is not as fierce up there in Nova for them on a regular weekly basis than what it is for Highland Springs in the 804 area code and more in the 757 area code. I'm just seeing a different animal from Stonebridge from what I've seen on film and some of these scores and the results that have come in. Um, I actually think it might be their time to offset that edge. And remember, their depth is there. And this time of the year, depth is is such a huge deal because you don't know from week to week who you might have because of injuries or something that's COVID-related or what have you. Um, I think they've been knocking on that door, and it might be their time. And um, to me, the Highland springs Moore game is going to be a real fascinating watch. I think both teams, while they have so many skill guys, you know, basically watching the passing attack, the quick screens, the home run plays, it's going to be about running the football because Maury's got it back into Monte Dunlap, who just ran for 200 yards against Deep Creek. And Jordan Jackson is really the key in the end of that Highland Springs attack as they kind of used a couple different quarterbacks the last two or three years, and they spread the ball around to a boatload of receivers. So watch for that to see who can establish the running game first to set up the pass. And going to class six, another region or another classification, excuse me, where all the region champs are undefeated and they're in the state semifinals. Oscar Smith, uh, they lost to South County last year in that state championship game. Both of those teams still alive. Oscar Smith hosting Massaponics and South County going to James Madison. Class six, are we going to have a rematch? Or are we going to have two, uh, one or two new team names in there in that state championship? You know, it's, it's a good question, Joe. I think we're going to have a rematch. Um, I would tell you that unlike all the other matchups I said where you get late to our test score, I think the, the, the common, the public might say, you like Taylor's going to take it, although Malik Newton's not there anymore, who was the workhorse and the superstar of that game. And Highland Springs, or Maury Stonebridge, if you were to have it, or Highland Springs Stonebridge, if you were to have it, both have met in the last few years. I think Stonebridge might be viewed as a slight dog in the most, the public's perception because of their record in the state finals. I mean, Mickey Thompson's both a dynasty, but they haven't achieved that win. You know, they've had more losses in that game than wins against those teams with the speed and the athletes. In class six, believe it or not, South County won that game. And I feel like they're the quietest undefeated team in all of Virginia. They've literally won 23 consecutive games. Their coach, Jerry Pannoni, left to go all the way across the country. It was more family-related um, when he left South County with his wife to go out to Rio Rancho in New Mexico. And now you've got an assistant guy that was on his staff who I think's just done a tremendous job um, at South County in Tynan Rolander. And this is a team that graduated a lot of guys, including Zion Dane, the son of Ron Dane, the former Heisman Trophy winner. But all you're hearing about across the state, and I've seen Oscar Smith, they are the real deal. This is maybe their best team since they won their first state championship in 2008 oh. under Rich Morgan when they had Philip Sims, who went on to Alabama, and then they had Perry Jones who went on to UVA. This team is putting up outrageous numbers. Their defense had five shutouts in their first six games. Uh, offensively, they're averaging at 55 points per game going into last week's 49-3 trouncing of Thomas Day on the region championship. But when you get into playoff football in the state semis and championship rounds, sometimes it's going to come down to execution, discipline, and eliminating the mistakes. And Oscar Smith, to me, is clearly the most talented athletic team 
in this field and perhaps in all of VHSL football this year, maybe even over Highland Springs. But in the South County game, going back to two Decembers ago, they had breakdowns in special teams. They had some self-inflicted wounds with penalties. If they're to run into that again with South County, I don't know that you can overcome that. Now, the other thing is you can't look past Massaponics because Massaponics has just been mowing people down. The triple option, which they run, is a pain to prepare for and deal with. And if they keep that game close with Oscar Smith, you wonder about if they'll get tight because they haven't been in a close game yet this year. Uh, Massaponics has maybe its best defense ever, which has held them back in some of these big state playoff level games. So um, they're going to be in for a real war. And I'd wonder about if if Smith or Massaponics comes out of this game dinged up, could that affect him the next week against Madison South County? Um, and I think Madison's the kind of the other, other team that nobody's talking a whole lot about. They've been really defensively driven. I do wonder about their offense against South County or if they were to get past that game the next round. So uh, class six is intriguing to me. You've got a lot of power there. I think people expected Westfield to be there as opposed to a Madison when the season began. But um, I would expect a South County Oscar Smith rematch. I wouldn't sell South County short. I'd give the nod to Oscar Smith, but crazier things have happened. So it's not a foregone conclusion. The Tigers get the revenge this time. So, Talking about this spring season and kind of backing up from individual teams and looking at it as a whole for the next level in college recruiting, have you noticed a difference or has the fact that the season has been played during the spring affected recruiting at all? I think it has to an extent. It might have had more of an impact on the basketball uh, season when it comes to recruiting because most of the class of 2021 has been signed off and you know where those guys are going. And there's only been a few of the players that have decided not to play of, of major names. Um, I do think uh, when it comes to the class of 2022, um, unless you're one of those headline guys, some of the schools around the country are kind of turning the page on you. So that I do kind of feel from that regard, if you weren't a ballyhooed sophomore getting a lot of playing time, is your film going to really do you a lot of you know good and wonders when it comes to this coming summer? And you know you're not going to have a lot of your camps and your combines. There's going to be some regulations and things of that nature for some of these prospects to go out to. Um, but all in all, I think, you know, things are so advanced now. Kids are getting offered as eighth and ninth graders that you don't see it have the impact for the football guys that maybe it does for the basketball kids. All right. So where I what I need from you is probably just my medicine a little bit. Riverheads. I'm a Riverheads guy. I'm a Riverheads grad. I was on the 2000 team. Uh, I've covered them every week this season, actually. So next year, looking ahead. They have scheduled a game with Lord Botetot. And I make statements like, <laughs> I make statements. I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying all Riverheads has got this. I'm saying, <laughs> I just like your reaction too. That is, that is pretty good. Um, I, you know, if Riverheads somehow won that game, like we would never shut up or, and that kind of thing and, and acknowledging how big a win that would be. I, I needed to probably have you bring me down to earth and, and hearing what you said about all these you know, FBS linemen that they're going to have and all that, and, and some of them are turning. I, I think I need you to talk me through this and, and shut me up from from spouting off any nonsense like Riverheads really going down there and, and picking up a win against one of the best Class 3 teams for the last five, six years. Yeah, that's going to be a tall task. And, and remind <laughs> me, Zach Smiley's not coming back, right? No, we've, we've had them. We've had them for four years already. I think if we could, if, if it was like college, and we could get that extra year of eligibility. I, I'd yeah. love to have it. <laughs> I'd feel better about your chances if you had him back for another year. But um, my goodness, I mean, they're loaded with talent, Leland. Just to give you an idea, I mean, literally, 
Um, and they were 14 and one the year before, but yeah, their line of scrimmage with uh, Colston Powers and Gunnar Gibbons and Trey Ryder, all these guys got offers. And Hunter Rice, 2,000 plus yards uh, rushing. And again, they had all these studs in the line. And, and Coach Harless told me, we talked, I think this was maybe in December, right before it was kind of the go ahead that Warner Sports was going to play. He's like, yeah, we might have a couple of linemen coming in as ninth graders that are going to be better than all the guys we got now. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so I don't know if they're ready to play that game in the fall as ninth graders, but. Like they just have a pipeline there and it's, it's incredible what they've done as far as their work in the trenches. Um, that's going to be a real, real battle because again, these aren't just kids going next level. Gunnar Gibbons is six six two seventy five and built like a man right now. Um, and he's the junior. That's the number two rated offensive lineman in the state. Who's only behind Zach Rice is arguably the number two offensive lineman in the country. It's, it's a great year for all of the linemen because if you throw in uh Brody Meadows from Graham high school, we might have three of the four or five best in the whole country just in that class of 2022, wow. so which is rare for Virginia to have that. We're known for, you know, years, some years as quarterbacks or skill guys or whatever it may be. We've got some great offensive linemen for this uh, junior going to be senior class of high school football players. But yeah, when you look at what Botetot has done this year alone and outscoring its opponents by a margin of nearly 52 to seven, I just have a hard time seeing, uh, you know, barring some issues of their own, some mistakes of their own, and, and again, injuries, which has been there. But I'm telling you, there might not be a team in the state that, that gets to the playoffs as deep as they do that has the an injury every year, a significant one. So they've had some hard luck there. So they're one of those programs, if you were to rank, you know, best teams that haven't won it, they're probably, if not number one list, they're right behind number one list. They're right there. Okay. Well, I hear you. When we have you on again at the beginning of the football season, I'm probably going to need to hear it again uh, because I'll still be believing somehow that it's, it's a possibility. But uh, I'm, I'm excited to play in the game. I think um, people locally sometimes think Riverheads won't play people, which is not the truth. I, I mean, sure. the, I, I have inside enough information to know that they ask for games from everybody and it's hard for them to get them. So I like that Riverhead says, you know, we'll play anybody. Lord Botetot said, yes, they're going to play him. I, I appreciate the games happening, even though, like, just size-wise, they're going to be outmatched. And and honestly, talent-wise, not saying anything against the Riverheads players. I mean, there's just talent all over the field. And I know that, but still, mm-hmm. for some reason, I still will have it in my head that there is a scenario where Riverheads wins that game. Well, and just for those that the detractors <laughs> real quick on Riverheads not playing anybody, just go back to, and this might not seem to the common fan, but if, if you know football, 2018, when they played that East Rockingham team, that team yeah. was really, really good with Jawan Evans, who was, a, I, I thought was a definite, and he ended up going as a walk-on at Virginia Tech, and he went to a JUCO after that, but scholarship-level kid in the backfield who ran for 2,000-plus yards, and they lost that game 28 to nothing. But without that experience and that, that test, though they didn't fare well in the game, you could argue, you know, they might not have had the playoff run they did against Essex and Chilhowie. There's no way to prove that or disprove that. I understand that. But uh, certainly those type of games will help Coach Casto and his guys in their development because, you know, if you get out of that without any, you know, major problems or someone, you know, getting hurt, I feel like that's a game you're not going to see anybody else with the size and the power and the speed that they do. I think their Raise speed the is underrated. Yeah, yeah it's going to help them immensely as they go on another push come playoff time. And and all the Riverhead fans are going to be hoping there's a winning streak going on going into that game. I mean, uh, you know, that's getting ahead of ourselves with what's still left this season. But, you know, a lot of fans will still be thinking that's what's going to be on the line at that point. And I think it's reasonable to 
think it's possible. So, uh, yeah, it'll be fun. And, uh, again, I'll, I'll talk to you in the fall and, and let you bring me back down to earth. Uh, not a problem. And the bottom line to it is, look, it gives us something to chatter about and it gets you something excited yeah. about because it's better than having a game against a team that you know is going to struggle. Or, yeah, so it's it better than playing Nelson County. Yeah, Sure, it gives them a bar to go for. So I, I'm actually excited to hear that they're going to match up against each other. And I know Coach Harless has been looking forward to playing some teams different than they've played in the past. So I think it's a good measure for both programs, actually. I, I really like the fact that you hear teams – I feel like you hear comments come from fans of Valley District teams, how they're class three. They, you know, they can't play Riverheads because of the PowerPoint. Well, Lord Botetot can afford to play Riverheads. I, I don't see what the problem is for any other class three team. I, I, I hope that will prove a point that the best team, one of the best teams in class three is willing to play Riverheads. Why, why wouldn't a Spotswood? Why wouldn't a, uh, um, you know, Broadway or any of those teams? Well, my last thought on it is this. We, we need more matchups like that across the state. Yeah. And I think people get caught up in the levels. Well, you're a class three playing a class one or vice versa. Bottom line is with the way the structure is, you get points for playing teams that are good. And there's no argument that both Riverheads and Lord Botetourt are consistently good. So it helps them both in terms of their playoff seating and positioning. Yeah. And number two, we actually have some districts across our state. I'm not going to go into names and get myself in some hot water <laughs> with it, but we have some where their districts are so tight into, well, we're not going to let you drop a game to play somebody else. When there's a coach from a couple of schools in that, you know, whether it be from, again, where we're talking about Tywater, Nova, Rich, whatever part of the state. That to me is disappointing because if, if the coaches agree to it and they can do it and it's not it's not going against anything from a rules perspective, let them do it. So I think it's great that you get matchups like that. And we need more of them. So we'll ask you the last question here, Matt. I know you mentioned on here that you're big into law and order. Which uh-huh. law and order is the best law and order? Well, it's, I'm glad you asked me that because that's, that's the best question right, right there. Um, <laughs> listen, they got the new one now that follows. If you watch it on NBC on Thursday nights, like I'm addicted to it. It's nine to nine and ten o'clock. You got you get back to back because Christopher Maloney's character, Elliot Stabler, who was paired with Mariska Hargitay's character, uh, yeah. Olivia Benson, for so many years. You know, Benson Stabler, they were in a great tandem there. It's 22 plus years running here of Law and Order SVU. Um, they, you know, Maloney left the show, so Stabler was gone. They brought him back. You know, there's a new one, Law and Order Organized Crime. And I thought the first week it was very slow. That's the one that comes on at 10 o'clock after SVU. But the last two weeks, it's getting really interesting. You got, uh, I think it's Dylan McDermott's playing the, the bad guy, which is Richard Wheatley, um, who I don't want to give away all that happens in the show, but he did some not nice things and it involves Stabler. So now it's like a little bit of a chase. Can he bring down the bad guy? And you got a little bit of crossover action going where Benson's on Stabler's show and vice versa. So it's people, the fans want a romance. I don't care about a romance. I like the, the bad guy, get the good guy, the good guy, get the bad guy, and all the chase and all that stuff. I'm into all that drama part more than the love story element. If there's going to be one, I don't even care if there is one, but some of the diehard fans are in that element of it. But uh, so I would, I would answer that question. This the old traditional law and order is great. I liked SVU. I would pick SVU, but Law and Order Organized Crime, the newbie, is really moving up the charts. I'm getting into it, and it's got a chance to take the number one slot. It's number two right now, but ask me this again in the fall. I might change my mind and make it number one. All right. Wow. We'll, we'll have to keep that in mind I for mean, the fall. I need, I need, I need iced tea for my for my Law and Order. I just got to have iced tea. Listen, listen. They got to use iced tea <laughs> Finn more because I think sometimes they don't they don't put him enough in a storyline. I love me some iced tea. I agree. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us, Matthew. Uh, again, I really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck covering the football season and enjoy the great high school football playoffs. You bet. Always a pleasure, guys. Keep up the great work. 
All right, D block time. And again, thanks to Matt Hatfield coming on. I mean, that's no disrespect to any of other guests. And I think I've probably said this at this point in the podcast before talking about the guests we have. We're lucky we have a lot of great guests, a lot of good ones. But just the way that Matt Hatfield can just rain off specific details about basically every team's name that we throw at him throughout the state. It's just so impressive to me. I'm jealous of of all that he knows and the time he gets to spend watching high school sports and, follow, and you know, covering it. And so uh, I always just enjoy him so much when he comes on. So thanks to him again. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Joe agrees. Good for him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Except I like Matt Hatfield, so I won't be saying sucks to suck about Matt Hatfield. <laughs> oh, Lordy. D block. What's de- dominating my life is the baseball. I actually in a house full of three kids and a wife that really doesn't care to watch baseball, particularly on TV, had an entire baseball game on the television. I believe it was on two televisions most of that time. Um, on in my house Saturday night. I loved it. I was very motivated by you, Joe Deck, uh, and watching your Orioles. And it was it was fun to watch. And um, yeah, I just, I, I'm into baseball this year a lot. I think, Last August, I really wanted to be, but it's starting in, in August just kind of felt a little weird and like everything was off and we are coming off this time period of, of not having sports. So like, yeah, I, I probably jumped into some games, but then it, I just never caught into a pattern. And I, I find myself nearly every night, I at least have it on a TV and uh, it's been great. I've really enjoyed uh, doing that. So I'm enjoying the new baseball season. It's been dominating my life. Uh, my wife would probably say it's dominating her life too. And she probably wouldn't be as happy about it as I am right now, but uh, it's, it's been great. And, and watching the Orioles win the other night um, and being able to, uh, you know, see and, and hear you happy about the Orioles was, was good. So that was fun. I know. And I know you said at the start, and I think you're right. Um, you hadn't watched an Orioles game with me. And so you weren't sure how that was going to go. I was, I sent the kids to the other room. So. Yeah, and uh, probably rightfully <laughs> so. But I will say that was one of the few games I've been able to sit down and watch start to finish uh, this year. And Ooh, unlike you last year, uh, for me last year, it was a 60-game sprint. So I was plugged into each one of those games, and I was super invested. When I know I've got uh, like 162 games to sit down and catch, like uh, opening day I watched a bunch of baseball. Um, I watched the Orioles, listened to the Orioles, opener against Boston in the middle of the day on a Friday, watch that weekend series, watch some of this other uh, Rangers game with you from the weekend. And that was great. Uh, But my takeaway from it was that, um, yeah, it's great to get baseball back. And I'm glad the Orioles won that game. The Orioles are a real enigma. Um, They're a lot better on the road than they are at home. Our pitching has been fantastic. Our offense outside of Cedric Mullins has been pretty disastrous. So hopefully some of those guys are starting to heat up and we'll be able to play better. But yeah, I don't know. This team is um, definitely missing some of the offense that I was expecting. I nearly today in fantasy baseball and clearly out of just a strategical move, I try to add some pitchers usually at the beginning of the week or for the beginning of the week that they'll, they'll pitch twice in one week. We have like a weekly um, mm-hmm. league. And so I try to get pitchers lined up. So I have them pitching twice. And Matt Harvey was sitting there and was picked up 
you know, the white knight there, but uh, I left him alone. I left him alone. Yeah. The interesting thing about Matt Harvey <laughs> is he doesn't go very deep into games. Um, our manager yeah. has a very quick uh, pull on starters, which when your bullpen is like two people that are major league talent deep, it's an interesting decision, but um, it is what it is. Uh, so I would say if John means is available in your league, that's who you go get. I don't think he's available. Well, that's just, he shouldn't be. He should, if you're playing fantasy baseball and John means is in your available in your league, your league is full of chumps and you need to claim him. Uh, we got, we got a, we got a competitive little league. I'm sure you are. That's why I'm, I don't think he's going to be available in your league. I was just saying if he is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't seen his name around. So, uh, yeah, that's what's up. So what's dominating your life? I got to see which one of these I picked. Oh, yeah. Hockey is what's dominating my life. Of course it is. Um, uh, we kept talking about hockey all, all the other night. We were trying to watch baseball. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, hockey's been good. It's getting down now to the playoff race. Uh, I think the playoffs will start the second or third week of May. Um, so there's about... 10 or so games left, depending on how many games your team has played. And the exciting thing is a lot of these divisions, there's three teams that know they're in. Now, the one exception is the East. The East, technically, the Caps are pretty solid, and the Islanders will probably make the playoffs as well. Um, But the Penguins, Bruins, Rangers, and then... An outside shot at the Flyers. I don't think the Flyers will be there. But there's three teams competing for two spots between the Penguins, Bruins, and Rangers, and that's going to be an exciting finish. In the Central, you have the Hurricanes, Panthers, and Lightning. They're all in. Um, It's a question between the Predators, the Blackhawks. What do we call them, Panthers? The Ice Cats. Yeah, that's right, because I asked you to put the Ice Cats on, and you had no idea who I was talking about. no idea. um, I was like, what team is this? (laughs) But, um... So the Hurricanes, the Ice Cats. Aren't the Predators? Don't they have a cat as their logo too? Yeah, it's a saber-toothed tiger, yeah. Um, But they're the Preds. Um, They're battling for the fourth playoff spot with the Blackhawks, who they are going to beat tonight. They're up 5-2, to Um, which I think think they've won the last four or five meetings with the Blackhawks, which has been astonishing. Um, But... The uh, Dallas Stars are the third team in that mix. Those are, That's three teams playing for one spot uh, in the Central. So that's going to be an exciting finish down the stretch. The Stars won a shootout tonight against the Red Wings, um, who are the doormat of that division and one of the few teams in hockey that when I see a team is playing the Red Wings, I bet the other team without thinking about it. Um, in the North, the Maple Leafs are going to play win that division. They're they're going to win that division. They're in. Despite losing four straight, they're still in a good place to win that division. The Jets will be in, and the Oilers will be in. The Canadians are the fourth-place team. I do think they're going to get in. Calgary, there's six points behind with two games in hand. I just don't see Calgary doing enough. So I think the North is, you know, I said the East has two, yes, and then a whole bunch of battling. Everybody else pretty much has three. The North, I guess, has four. So we know who those four teams will be. The West, we don't know who's going to win it, just like the East, because that's a two-team race between the Avalanche and the Golden Knights. And the winner of that division has a great chance to get in the Stanley Cup final. Um, 
but the wild look like they're going to be the three. And then it's a battle between the coyotes and the blues for four. If the sharks get hot, maybe they can be the four seed, but they've lost five straight. They play Vegas tonight, probably going to be six straight. I think San Jose is probably out. So I'm excited to see the playoff race down the stretch. I'm trying to watch as much hockey as I can here when it's on NBCSN or ESPN plus and catch as many of these games. It's just going to be a thrilling end of the regular season. And then nothing beats playoff hockey. Yep. Playoff hockey is fun based on our discussion the other night. And based off of what little I've heard since our discussion that night, I'm taking the avalanche the rest of the way. I'm jumping on the bandwagon just, just to be on a bandwagon. Just so I have something to pay attention to when you start talking hockey. So, and I'm just hoping Patrick Waugh comes out there and starts stopping, stopping goals. Well, you're going to be disappointed when Patrick Waugh is not (laughs) out there, but I'd say the caps have really kind of surprised me at how well they have have done uh, here recently. Well, I mean, yes, I'm rooting for the caps, but as I told you, I have a vested interest in the ice cats um, doing well. So I'm taking the avalanche. It's not vested. It's just, to pick a team so I have something to pay attention to when I look at the standings and if hopefully they can win it all and I can rub it in your face. That's that's really I'm hoping what I'm the doing. I'm hoping the Ice Cats can find a way to win that division, the central division, but uh it doesn't look great. But just win the Stanley Cup and it'll all be okay. All right. So what do you know that I need to know? The UEFA Super League broke the internet last night and this morning, uh depending on the time zone. But um Basically, what this has been is it's really impacting club soccer in Europe, but now it has bled into the international scene because what's happened is 12 of the biggest clubs in Europe have decided to create their own Super League. Um, This is basically going to replace the Champions League, and it's the equivalent of let's say the top 12 teams in college football, let's say Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, uh, Michigan. I know what you're saying. Michigan's not a top team. Neither is Arsenal or Tottenham, but they're in it. So basically just the 12 biggest names in college football, just say, you know what? We're tired of uh, everyone else possibly having a chance of knocking us out of this big tournament, the champions league. So what we're going to do is, we're just going to create our own league and we're just going to play each other. Um, This is being backed by JP Morgan, the bank. And um, basically each of these 12 teams, if the league is formed, will get $400 million just for being there. Uh, And then the winner, um, I think it's going to be basically the prize money is going to be close to billion with a B. Um, and it's basically going to be twice as much as all the domestic and the Champions League prize money combined if you and then doubling it. So it's really going to separate the haves and the have-nots even more so than it already is. And people in Europe hate it. Um, England in particular. Hate, hate, hate it. And it is a very... Uh, there's a lot of anti-American sentiment because of it, because it's a lot of the American owners on the six England teams that are going to be part of this super league. So 12 teams, half of them are from England. Um, it's, 
Manchester City, Manchester United, Arsenal, Tottenham, Liverpool, and I'm leaving somebody out. Anyway, it's an American-owned team. Do you want me Chelsea. To tell you what it is. Chelsea is the other one. <laughs> um, Chelsea is actually a, owned by a Russian billionaire, but Liverpool, Arsenal, Manchester United, and Tottenham all have American owners. Manchester City, as I've mentioned before, has that oil, great human rights, uh, Middle Eastern dictatorship money. So it's all a bunch of people with a ton of money that just want more money. And the way it works now is if you want to win, you have to spend money to win and get money. Um, Because if you don't win, you don't make money. The way this Super League will make it is kind of like baseball. You don't have to spend money to make money. Pittsburgh Pirates, Baltimore Orioles, we're in a rebuild. Pittsburgh Pirates have been rebuilding for two decades. It's whatever. Um, We made some playoffs there. We made some wild cards. (laughs) Okay. Um, But they've had the lowest payroll in baseball almost every year that I can remember. So... Um, they don't have to spend money. We're a money. high class. We're a high triple A team for the Yankees. Right. They don't have to spend money, and they're going to make a profit anyway. In soccer, Arsenal right now, which is one of these teams in the Super League, which is hilarious, they're very middle of the Premier League table. They're not going to be in the Champions League, probably, and so they would be missing out on a huge, huge cash fall unless they get into the Super League. Well, with the creation of the Super League, Here's where it gets complicated, and it's created a power struggle. UEFA, which is the governing body of European soccer, and FIFA, which is the governing body of world soccer, have said they will kick them out of the champions. These teams that are in the Champions League right now will be kicked out if they do this. FIFA has said that the these players who play in the Super Cup will not be allowed to play for their country in the World Cup or international competitions. So... Now you're talking about some of the best players in the world not being in the World Cup. To which, the owner of Real Madrid, which is one of the three teams in Spain that is in this thing, uh, said, well, we'll create our own World Cup. Which, no, they won't. You don't have enough players and nationalities to form enough teams. So, And he says that they're saving football by creating the Super League. It's... It is greed and corruption at its worst. Um, I hope, I hope, hope, needs hope. Saving doesn't seem like it needs saving. Yeah, it doesn't need saving. You know what it needs? You know what needs Maybe saving is his baseball. pocketbook because he has overspent uh, and dug himself into a hole that he can't afford because of the pandemic. That's they're saying they need to do this because of the pandemic. This has been a rumor for years. I got into soccer like three or four years ago. It, I have heard this every year that, oh, they're going to make the Super League. They're going to make the Super League. They're going to make the Super League. So like a lot of the transfer rumors, I just started to be like, okay, this is just something that pops up in Europe every once in a while, and then it disappears because there's nothing to it. Well, now they have made the announcement. These 12 teams will form a Super League. Look in 2023. And I will, I will say Friday is a big, big day because if UEFA kicks out three of the four teams – that are left in the tournament because there are th- three of those teams are in this super league 
that it's going to be formed, then at that point, I think it's real. So, because you don't kick them out of the tournament if it's not real, and if they don't think it's a real possibility, and this isn't grandstanding. So, we'll see what happens. I'm hoping that this doesn't happen, because I think it's going to be bad for soccer, and I just, I like promotion relegation. It incentivizes winning and trying and spending money to put a competitive team on the field versus what we get here in American sports, which is doesn't matter if you spend money or not, you're going to make money and you're, you can't lose money in a professional sport. All right. What I know that you need to know, cause I have nothing for that. I, I learned everything that you just said. I was today years old when I learned what you just, well, you me. should listen to some so, actual soccer podcasts because they do a lot better job explaining it than I did. But it, I yeah, will tell you, you have to I search. The, you have to search far and wide to find someone who likes this. Not a lot of people do. Speaking of what people, some people like and some people don't like, Jeopardy has been cycling through some guest hosts. They had Ken Jennings kind of be the first, uh, you know, transition from. Alex Trebek to these other guest hosts that have been coming through Katie Couric, uh, Aaron Rodgers was on up, up until um, this week. Uh, I think Anderson Cooper is doing it now. Uh, we just got word that uh, Joe Buck is an upcoming one. And I think, and from what I understand, all these people have interest in taking over the full-time gig, you know, being, being the next host of Jeopardy. Now, you know, it's shoes that you're filling that are, you'll never fill the shoes of Alex Trebek. You're, it's just what it is. So, my thoughts on these guest hosts, I, I, I think anybody I've seen has done well. I think Aaron Rodgers was interesting because he's, he's an active quarterback right now. And, and maybe this is setting, you know, if his interest is for post-career, I'm sure. Um, but, like, I honestly wonder if getting somebody further away from Alex Trebek is a wise opportunity for Jeopardy. Because I think there's a lot of these people that, would fit into that mold a lot easier. I think Anderson Cooper right now, you would, you know, there's similarities and even how they, when you look up there at them and, and their, their way of delivery, I think even Bill Whitaker from CBS, who's an upcoming guy. Um, you know, I think a lot of these like news people doing it, like Katie Couric, I think they kind of fall more into that Alex Trebek mold. I wonder if, you know, kind of getting, and, and Aaron Rodgers type of guy in there and, and, and doing that, or even Joe Buck, I think even though he's not an athlete, I still think he kind of comes from a more relaxed feel than one of these professional journalists stepping into that role. So it's interesting. I think to see these different hosts every couple of weeks, I guess it's like two week spans, these people come on. And uh, I think it's, a, it's also smart of them to get some breathing room from Alex Trebek and then to who the next person that's going to do it night in night out for years, presumably. Um, and not just try to have, if it's Ken Jennings, just start it right after and go. I think it's smart to have like these different people come in um, and, and do it. So um, I don't know. Have you been, have you caught any of these? I haven't caught a lot of them. I caught one of the Aaron Rodgers. I'm interested in watching uh, Anderson Cooper I will say I don't yeah, love Joe like Buck, but Joe Buck seems like a great person for it. He's just smug enough to do the job. I start, like Dan Patrick, like he he Dan did Patrick sports did Jeopardy. Sports... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always heard like he was in the run-in, so I'm surprised he hasn't popped up here. Well, Lavar Burton wants to do it. 
I think LeVar Burton would be good. Yeah, LeVar Burton would be the man. I'd like to see that. Yeah, I'm hoping he gets an opportunity to at least guest host and just to see like yeah, just how that vibe let's see is. how it goes. So, yeah, um, there's a lot of people on here that are like doctors and journalists and you know mm, like Doctor Oz or whatever. Which it, I don't even know if I that would make me also, not watch Jeopardy. Um, Gupta or whatever. Sanjay Gupta is one of them coming up. He's a doctor. Uh, Savannah Guthrie, she's another news journalist person. So I don't know. I just kind of, I'm in the mindset now that like less formal might be like the better route for this next host. Um, uh, You know. Well, Alex Trebek, I don't think had a PhD. Big Bang Theory. I don't know who who we're talking about now, but Alex Trebek didn't have a PhD, did he? No, but he very he very much presented himself. I, I don't I, I honestly don't know, but he presented himself in a very formal, trained way. I feel like, and I and these and all the news guys that I've seen so far, and these other news people coming up on the list, I can imagine how they're going to be, and it's going to be that very formatted. And not saying like Aaron Rodgers was up there just shooting bull up there, like, but it, it is a different vibe when you get these when these people that are probably coming that you come into the situation of a less academic field. I'm not saying Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is a smart dude. I mean, he went to um, UC Berkeley and, and very smart guy. And everybody always talks about that. Tim is a quarterback. He's a very smart guy. So I'm not taking anything away from it. I just think like preconceived notions mean something coming into this, especially with jeopardy and, and the, you know, what Alex Trebek was that I, I just, I have this thought in my head that it might be cool to have somebody from sports or somebody that's more known for their acting um, like Blossom, uh, Maya Bellique or whatever her name is, but um, the girlfriend from Big Bang Theory, like she's a very smart uh, person. She has, I think, a PhD in like neuroscience or something like that. But I still think having that preconceived knowledge of her from not being a journalist and a, and a fact person and more of an entertainer, I think that that could be interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion yet on anybody I've seen being, yes, definitely the person. Like I said, if Dr. Oz won, I would probably stop watching Jeopardy. But um, that's mainly because I hate Dr. Oz. I don't even think I caught one. I, think, what I, I, didn't, I purposely did not watch. Oh, it's the March Madness tournament. Yeah, I purposefully <laughs> did not watch. Great time to put him on when no one's going to watch, too. Um, yeah. I wanted that rating Amos to be and low. Cooper probably is going to do great. Yeah, I wanted Dr. Oz's rating to be low because um, I think he's a fraud. But, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I brought up a topic I thought you might have a reaction to, and I was wrong. So Yeah. There we are. I know. I I watched hard the last few episodes of Alex Trebek, and then, you know, sports have gotten in the way. But um, I do. I, I will say I'm a fair-weather Jeopardy fan like we recorded i think it's always recording and it's always just keeping the latest episode and when they have a guy that's been on there like 10 plus episodes all of a sudden i start watching like you know i watch them when there's a guy on a run and and whether i like him or not like there was that one dude that i didn't really like and he was the guy that was jumping all over the board and uh he was just an oddball Mm -hmm. but i had to watch him every night so you know it's fun on those guys but i i'm not i don't i don't watch every night that's for sure sure well that will do it for us on this episode of the Yak Sports Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Again, thanks to um, Matt Hatfield for talking to us about the high school football playoffs. Be sure to check out uh, his stuff on Twitter as well. 
Um, you can follow us at Yak Sports Pod. We're on Facebook, Yak Sports Pod, or you can email us, yaksportspod at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify so you never miss another episode. And again, folks, tell your friends, uh, we're going to be breaking down these state semifinal playoff games as they happen next week. We'll have a lot to say on those. Hopefully, we're talking about draft and Riverheads getting ready to host state championship games in football, and we're hopefully talking about Riverheads winning a state championship in volleyball. But you'll have to check out here next week to hear us and find out if you are not plugged into those games. So until then, folks, we hope you enjoyed the episode of the Yak Sports Podcast, and you have a good week. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast.